Kia ora, I'm Jessie Chang and today on The Detail... For seven months, a dark cloud has hung over hockey New Zealand amidst allegations of bullying and a poor culture. New Zealand football has formally apologised to the football ferns for the bullying behaviour of former coach Andreas Haraf. Four members of the governing body met with the team this morning in the wake of an independent review which found Haraf engaged in bullying behaviour. Another high-profile Olympic sport has been hit by allegations of bullying and intimidation. Canoe Racing NZ is the latest to find itself at the centre of complaints coming from former athletes and staff members stretching back this time to 2017. The New Zealand sports sector has been trying to mop up scandal after scandal. Since 2018, there have been resignations and reviews over bullying in cycling, in women's football and hockey. For women's canoe racing, the review is ongoing. But just last week, the dirty laundry was aired for gymnastics, also a largely female-dominated sport. What these women have been through and young girls have been through is utterly horrifying and they're still living with it into their adulthood. In December last year, Sport New Zealand announced a new independent mediation service from grassroots to elite athletes. High Performance Sport is also on the verge of releasing its new four-year strategy. But will new documents and plans actually result in change? Here's one of the country's top administrators. Well, it's certainly not just talk. Um, that wouldn't, would be very disingenuous um, of everyone involved in the process. I'll speak to Raylene Castle later on, but let's start with Zoe George, a senior sports journalist at Stuff who's been covering the abuse of athletes in gymnastics. She says what's been happening in gymnastics is an entirely different ball game from reviews into other sports. There's something really interesting to note in regards to gymnastics versus all of those other sports, and that is those other sports and the reviews that have been done into those sports, they're all elite, so we're dealing with adults. But with gymnastics, we're dealing with children. So 88% of those who participate in gymnastics in New Zealand are under the age of 12, and 78% of those who participate in gymnastics are females. So we're talking about abusive practices towards young females, young girls in New Zealand. So tell me, what does bullying and a negative environment actually look like across some of these different sports that you've mentioned? Yeah, so, uh, you know, psychological, emotional abuse. um, Within the gymnastics review, for example, if we put a lens on that, you know, there's this whole culture of seeking perfection and when a young child or an athlete doesn't reach perfection, then they feel not good enough and then there's devaluing of self-worth and um, the ongoing repercussions of that, being told, you know, that you're not skinny enough and that you should just eat an apple, um, that you must train on injuries you know, having to wear the leotards and the regulations around that and its implication for young girls and women who are currently going through puberty and the fact that they feel really uncomfortable participating and engaging in their sport, particularly when they're menstruating. Yeah, for sure. And, you know, they are at that very vulnerable age. Uh, In terms of other sports, though, and we're looking at high-performance stuff now, what does... uh, negative environment and bullying look like there? Yeah, not 
being listened to is is a really big thing, and it's the same in gymnastics as well. And the the fear of speaking up because fear of repercussions, and that was something that was really strong that came out in um, in gymnastics as well. Um, canoe racing and hockey are a high performance sport environment, and and it's really interesting looking at why that is. So in a high performance sport environment, the funding comes from us, the taxpayers. Mm. Uh, we and we love gold medals, right? We love winners. We love sport. It's part of who we are as our national identity. But what price do those gold medals come at? Well, in canoe racing, we've seen that that cost is what we refer to as critical incidences uh, with athletes in the high-performance environment. We've been talking to women in this environment, and uh, several of the women, so six out of the nine, who were meant to be you know, on the fast track in our elite performance team to compete at this year's Olympic Games, they walked away from their Olympic dreams because they had enough. They couldn't do it anymore and they were not they felt being listened to now i have to say that you know canoe racing new zealand have come out and said that they do not believe that there is a culture of bullying within their environment um and that's okay they can say that i think though out of all of these things out of hockey out of gymnastics and out of canoe racing it should be an opportunity for all sports not just these three sports but for every single sport to step back and go okay this is what's going on elsewhere Is this happening in our sport? If so, why? If not, have we got the right processes and practices in place to be able to handle this? And what is our bottom line here? Some athletes and some coaches and some sports will just think that the medal is the end goal and they will justify anything to get to that. So do we need to change that kind of thinking? Absolutely. Absolutely. The medal is the result, but the result is just the 1%. The most important thing, the end result should be the well-being of the person, of the athlete. That should be at the core of everything we do. Um, And if you look at other sports as well, like, for example, rugby, they had a TV show last year called Match Fit. Arthritis in both my ankles. I've had a prolapse disc. You look old. I am old. <laughs> so Graham Henry and Buck Shelford unite. Welcome, guys. You're looking great. <laughs> to challenge a team of All Black That talked about life after the All Blacks and how they struggle with loss of identity and their sense of belonging. But then they were able to get that back and what that looked like and the processes and practices they put in place. I would rather have... Athletes who are well-rounded people, children who grow up to be well-rounded people. I'd rather give up a gold medal to ensure that someone is safe and happy. And we need to get our priorities right first because if we look after the person, then we're going to get the results. So look after the person first. The the bigger question in all of this is where is the line between yeah pushing someone to be better and abuse? Yeah, and that's going to be different for every person, right? What might work for one athlete or one person, let's say in a job, might not work for someone else. One person might really respond well to some of that really hard 
conversation and, you know, the occasional, <laughs> you know, being yelled at, for me personally, doesn't work. Mm. Um, and for many, it doesn't work. So part of that comes back to really positive leadership, really good education and taking it from uh, a wellness and whole person being. Gymnastics New Zealand has today offered an apology to gymnasts past and present for abusive practices within the sport. An independent review was released today following serious and distressing allegations of abuse. The 60-page independent review released today found 10 overarching areas of concern. What of the recommendations in the report actually speak to protect children going forward? There's been some really positive moves already, and and this is uh, in the report as well. Uh, Gymnastics New Zealand have been working on now since about this time last year, actually, a new safeguarding of children policy. They've been working with Safeguarding Children New Zealand, which is an organisation who has been designing the framework for not just gymnastics, but all of community sport in New Zealand around safeguarding practices. And within that, each gymnastics club, of which there are 113 affiliated gymnastics, Many clubs. There are quite a lot. Each need to have an independent child safety person, which means that they kind of sit outside the club, that they're independent, but they oversee uh, what's going on, and that they that there is someone that people can go to. Uh, you know that they have the health and safety and the well-being of children at the forefront. That's a really positive step, and it's something that I would like to see roll out throughout all of uh, sport in New Zealand. Uh, Gymnastics New Zealand is also going to continue to do police vetting. Uh, You know, again, this is not actually a requirement within sport uh, across the board, but several sports organisations are doing a lot of work in this area to ensure those working with and volunteering with children are properly vetted to make sure that they have police checks and criminal checks, background checks, uh, to ensure that, that they're safe. The problem is, though is that sports like gymnastics only have a really small budget, tiny budget. We're talking $3 million a year. A lot of that money comes from the fees that families pay to put their children through gymnastics. So questions need to be asked of what does this look like? How much is this going to cost? Where is the money going to come from? Uh, And actually looking at a broader scope and going, how can sport as a sector collaborate on this so that everyone benefits for this? Because this is not just an opportunity for gymnastics. This is an opportunity for the sector across the whole. Has Gymnastics New Zealand indicated that it will take on all 51 recommendations. <laughs> it's it's a lot of work, isn't it? I mean, they've already done the very first recommendation, which was to issue a formal apology. They do have a statement of commitment, which means that they are dedicated to trying to work through this as much as they can. And of course, we're going to be continuing to watch. The review is not the end. It's just the beginning, uh, you know, and I've said from the start as well, back in August when I first started investigating and we launched the investigation on staff, that this is a marathon to change the culture of sport. This is not a sprint. And now that the re- review is out, we're probably at the 15K mark. We've still got a long way to go and it's going to take a collective effort. Have you found that in your reporting, to not just in gymnastics but in hockey and canoe racing and all these other areas, that the sports organisation kind of in charge of them have been transparent 
That's a really good question. On a you know an elite level thing, we've got to remember that their funding is determined by medals, as we were talking about earlier. So of course they want to protect their environment and what's going on. They don't want to say that there are issues with welfare. It might risk their funding and in turn their program and in turn gold medals. Um, I think we do need to have a very open discussion about transparency and draw the line and say that there is no place for abuse in sport at all, anywhere, anytime, any level. Raylene Castle is the chief executive of Sport New Zealand, the government's chief agency overseeing sport and recreation, particularly for those at a grassroots level. The organisation offers advice and support to national sporting organisations, also known as NSOs. Under Sport New Zealand is high-performance sport, which looks after elite athletes. Its board will be reviewing its structure after current Chief Executive Michael Scott announced his resignation last week, citing personal reasons. Raylene Castle is also set to take over as Acting Chief Executive while that work is carried out. She dismisses the idea that winning medals and player welfare are two opposing aims. They're not mutually exclusive, obviously. All the athletes that, that perform and you know give their heart and soul into competing at those high performance levels want to win gold medals, um, and that's important. Uh, but also they want to do that in an environment that they enjoy working in and that they feel is, is, is safe. Um, their well-being is, is very important and that will be a real focus uh, and an improved level of focus in the new high-performance strategic plan that will be launched. It was supposed to be launched later this week, but unfortunately due to COVID has been delayed. Just talking about that, what are your thoughts on on the debate between winning medals and player welfare? You said that they shouldn't be mutually exclusive, um, but it, it seems in in the past it may have been. Um, I don't think so. I think that's a sort of a probably a, a simple view of the the issues in relation to high performance. Um, I think there's not a, as I said, there's not a single athlete um, that trains and gives their, their life to want to be a high-performance athlete that doesn't ultimately want to win and be as successful as they can. But ultimately, it is about making sure that we get the balance right, not just around um, environments where they feel that they've got a voice, um, but also the, the ever-growing concern that we have around mental health and mental well-being, um, and that there is escalations in process to make sure they can be identified and dealt with um, if, if that's a situation that needs to be dealt with. Today's announcement is all about lifting the options available to everyone in the sport and recreation sector to do their bit to ensuring we have a safe, inclusive and trusted system. Two months ago, Sport New Zealand announced three major pieces of work to improve athlete welfare after a 2019 report made 22 recommendations looking at how to ensure sport was safe and inclusive. That includes an independent mediation service for all sporting levels, which will kick off in about two weeks. If you're a grassroots uh, person, um, you can either lay your complaint and if you've got some concerns around behaviour of people or something that you see that you don't think is fair happening in your sport, um, then you can raise that um, and that will then go through a process where it's reviewed by some sport and recreation legal specialists uh, and they will uh, have a look at how they think that complaint 
should be managed and then it could get referred on to another national, another national body or another third party like the Police or Human Rights Commission if that's where we think that the, the complaint should go. So is that online or in person? Do I go to an office of some sort? So initially it's through an 0800 number or a web form. So you bring, you go and put your 0800 number or form and then once it, it is reviewed, then ultimately um, it w- you would be put into, by recommendation of that group, into the right hands to help with that, be that, say, police or human rights. And at that stage, it would more likely become in person. But of course, if you had some concerns around wanting to remain anonymous, then that could be arranged as well. So it does give you the full flexibility whether you want to do it in person or whether you want to remain anonymous. Right. And do we have an idea of time frames around this? How quickly can I expect someone to get back to me once I've filled out an online form? So if it had been an acknowledgement immediately um, and then uh, it would be some effective time frames to work as quickly as possible. Um, so, you know, sort of initially acknowledging in, in a week or so your initial complaint of where that might be headed and so point that in the right direction. And then we would continue to support it as it goes into those other agencies. And that would be the same for a high-performance athlete? Yeah, that's right. So it's it's set up um, the same process, obviously, for um, the elite athletes. Um, It might involve the National Sports Organisation, for example, because if the issue is around selection or selection policies or some of those things, then they would also be included in that process. Um, But once again, full communication um, could be done in person or anonymously um, and about trying to get to an outcome as soon as possible. So why did Sport New Zealand feel that there was a need for this service when technically other so national sporting bodies should have their own complaints process? I think it's a level of independence. That's the important thing is this service will give um, independence. We don't, it's not a legal advice service. It's not a, we don't take sides or the, the service doesn't take sides. So it's that level of independence, which means that ultimately if, there, if there's a dispute between the National Sports Organisation, for example, and the athlete, then this service will provide the middle ground. Is there any indication of how many people might, you know, just start using this or anything like that? We haven't really got any indication of specific numbers. And I think, you know, like like anything as seasons start and finish with sport, uh, we're more likely to have some, you know, rush at, at some stage and then have quieter periods of time. But um, ultimately that will be a learning for the service over the first uh, 12 months or so and we'll make sure that um, uh, the service is designed uh, to be effective and be timely. There will also be an online community guidance portal, a free one-stop shop with policies, procedures and learning modules covering things like child protection. And then there's what is being called the Integrity Working Group. If we want New Zealand to be a shining light of for integrity, for example, in the world, what would we do? What are the things that we need in place to make sure that we can protect the integrity of sport and recreation effectively as efficiently as possible? So that's what the working group is uh, looking at. And basically they are um, reviewing a range of different options and having a look at the 22 recommendations that the Integrity integrity Review recommended and how we might implement those recommendations. So when does the working group actually report to Sport NZ? Is there like a time frame? Uh, not at this stage. The group's only just actually getting together um, and it's a wide-ranging group of about 
15 people which come from um, all sorts of different backgrounds, sports, law, athletes, commissions, on Olympic um, and international panels and former athletes. So we haven't got a final date on when we expect their um, responses to be, but um, we want to make sure we get this right. So whilst they'll all be working hard to work quickly, we want to make sure they take the time to work at how they're going to implement those 22 recommendations. You know, since 2018, you know, with the review into cycling in New Zealand, there's been resignations, reports and reviews and, and plans to improve bullying and in some cases abuse in a range of sports. I think the question everyone is asking is, will this actually result in change or is this just talk? Well, it's certainly not just talk. Um, that would be... Uh, that would would be very disingenuous um, of everyone involved in the process. What I know is that NSOs um, and High Performance Sport New Zealand uh, are very committed to ensure that we've got uh, safe environments for our high performance athletes to be performing in. And that is, as I said, a very key pillar of the new strategic plan that will be launched by High Performance in the next couple of weeks. The, the other thing is this is... A lot of the reviews, especially in New Zealand, uh, have been happening a lot with women's sport. Is there any reason why you think that is? Yeah, it's an interesting question, and I think there's a you know um, there's probably uh, an interesting discussion around you know the the way females and males engage in in programs, and you know having myself been involved with Netball New Zealand and also um, with rugby and rugby league, you certainly watch women engaging in the high performance environment, and they. Uh, they'd like to have more information, they like to know more about what's happening, they like to know the rationale um, for what's going on or decisions that are being made, perhaps more than their male colleagues do. So I don't think it's a one-size-fits-all. I think coaches um, you know, do need to understand the difference between coaching men and women, and certainly that's some of the focus of, of sporting that is, is in their women and girls strategy is to have um, more investment in women's coaches so that we ultimately can have you know, more women, female coaches at that at that high-performing level because we certainly don't have enough of them at the moment. What is your hope for all levels of sport in New Zealand? The main thing is it doesn't matter whether you're uh, playing um, as a young person or, or enjoying your community sport engagement or whether you're high-performance engagement. It should be a fun um, an enjoyable and safe environment. So uh, that's important for us and we think there's integrity measures that Sport New Zealand have launched uh, should uh, help not only the NSOs, national sports organisations, to be able to deliver those environments in a more safe environment. Um, but if there's something doesn't work well or doesn't go well, it now gives the, the athlete or the participant a chance to go through a, a process so that they can have their issue heard. That's it for today. I'm Jessie Chang. The detail is brought to you by newsroom.co.nz and made possible by RNZ and NZ On Air. You can get us downloaded free to your mobile device every weekday from any podcast platform. And if you're using Apple, please leave us a rating so others can find us too. Today's episode was engineered by Rangi Poik and produced by Alexia Russell. And thanks to staff journalist Zoe George and to Raylene Castle. Matewa.